Well, as I said earlier, we are concluding our worship series on the Acts of the Apostles, and today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 28. It's finally over. The last few weeks, Pastor Mary talked about how Paul was on a ship traveling from the ancient Near East all the way to Rome, and there was a shipwreck in Malta and these incredible stories, and he's there now. And you'll hear in the very first verse that I read to you in Acts chapter 28 that they use uh, language about they and who the they are as a group of Jewish people in Rome have come to meet Paul at his home to hear him tell about Jesus. So now we're going to hear Acts chapter 28, verses 23 through 31. These are the last few verses of the Acts of the Apostles. So you can follow along on the screen in front of you, or you can also pick up a Bible wherever you are to, to follow along. Listen to God's word. After they, this Jewish group of people, had set a day to meet the Apostle Paul, they came to him at his lodgings in great numbers. From morning until evening, he explained the matter to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he had said, while others refused to believe. So they disagreed with each other. And as they were leaving, Paul made one further statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah, go to this people and say, you will indeed listen, but never understand. And you will indeed look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes, so that they might not look with their eyes and listen with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Let it be known to you then that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the gift of God. Join me in a word of prayer. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, when I come to reading this text, there's a piece of me that just feels like this story is a little bit disappointing at the end of Acts chapter 28, right? I mean, we've heard of these incredible stories of conversion, of people being broken out of jail, and the Holy Spirit doing these amazing things. And then here we have the Apostle Paul talking to a group of Jewish persons again, and some agree, some disagree. And not just that there's some sort of disappointment in the fact that there's disagreement, but as they're walking out of the door, it's almost like the Apostle Paul's a little passive-aggressive, you know? They walk out of the door, and he's like, oh, by the way, let me quote some scripture at you really quick to say why it is that we disagree, and, and you leaving right now. And there's a hint of passive-aggressiveness in the Apostle Paul, and there's a feeling of disappointment a little bit in the end of Acts chapter 28. And not just a bit of disappointment, but if you even think about it, too, the whole narrative arc of the story is that Paul gets to Rome. Right? The Apostle Paul is arrested in Jerusalem, and all along the way, because he's a Roman citizen, he asks to be appealed all the way to Caesar. And he keeps getting appeals after appeals after appeals, 
And it feels like the whole story is leading up to this climactic moment in which he would meet Caesar in Rome. And maybe some kind of miraculous thing would happen through his speaking and his preaching. And, and who knows, Caesar might be converted. You might hear a fourth conversion experience of the Apostle Paul in Acts of the Apostles. But we don't get that. We don't get that at the end of Acts chapter 28. Instead, we have some disagreement, some agreement. We have these different things that are happening in Acts chapter 28, and it feels a little disappointment. And not just that, but Paul's been incarcerated for so much of his ministry, right? All those situations when he's been put in jail, he's been flogged, and now he's under house arrest again. There's a guard standing at the front of his house for two years. Paul continues to be incarcerated, and there's no resolve to that part of the story. There's a lot of ways in which this just feels a bit disappointing, the conclusion to Acts chapter 28. Now, I very little need to speak about the kind of disappointments we're experiencing right now in life, right? It's, it's just too easy to talk about the ways in which we might be frustrated or feeling a sense of disappointment in life today. There's a lot of stuff going on in our lives right now. And I just was reminded this week of a time back in 2007 when I went to Kenya on a month-long mission trip with a group of college students. Right after I graduated from college, I went to Kenya in Nairobi. And while we were there, we went as a group of college students with this really kind of radical mission uh, group. And I mean radical by the way of thinking about like what is mission really about? And the way in which they were radical is that they believed primarily that God already existed in Nairobi and God was doing things. And our task as missionaries was not to bring God to Nairobi, but was just to see what God was doing already there. Just to notice and observe and to see and to allow our witness to come alongside that which God was already doing in Nairobi. And so we had a great mission experience as a result of being able to do that. Instead of just assuming we were bringing God, that God was already there. And on one particular occasion, my group of about 12, we broke up into pairs with a person from the community that was already doing ministry and was a, a local pastor of sorts in the community. And we walked through Kibera, which was one of the largest slums in the world. More than a million people live in this tiny little space, this tiny little section of the city in these metal shacks. And while we were walking around in the town, me and this friend of mine, we knocked on doors and we met people and we just talked to them. And we simply said, where is God at work in your life? And on this one particular occasion, we walked into this person's house. Uh, the room was about eight feet by eight feet, metal shack, dirt on the ground. He was making lunch and he welcomed us into his house. And he even invited us to eat some of his meal with him. And while we we're having this conversation and we just tried to talk about where is God at work in your life? He spoke to us, and he said, I'm a Christian, but given my context and all the things that are around me, it's really hard to be a Christian in this space, in this context. And he began to share with us that living the life that he lived in Kibera was hard because he felt like he had to give up some of his Christian beliefs about trying to be good and do the morally right thing just so that he could survive just so that he could have food to eat, and just so that he could do the very basic types of things. He had moved from outside in a rural village into the city hoping to find work, and he never found work. And he said there was times that he had to steal food just to eat, just to make it another day, 
just so he could find and have a little shack like he was living in that day. And he said he always felt a sense of conflict with who God wanted him to be and just trying to survive, just trying to survive. He had to make these hard decisions. And he said that's what life was like for a lot of people in Kibera, having to make these hard decisions where the results of those decisions, none of them actually felt like good outcomes for the kind of faith that they had. This is what he talked about, about life in Kibera. When I think about life for us, obviously very few of us that are participating in this worship service today are living in an eight-foot-by-eight-foot metal shack. But I do think now more than ever, we can relate to people that have had intense kinds of context like that on our lives that have forced us to make really hard decisions. And some are a little bit easier than others, some are harder than others. But what I mean by that is that six months of pandemic, smoke, heat, all the things we have to do, schools being closed, people getting fired from jobs, like we're being forced into making really hard decisions right now than we've ever had to ever before. I mean, in a small example, I shared this on Facebook a couple of weeks ago, I'd really hoped to not have to do screen time with my children until much later on in life. Um, but you know, my daughter is two, and she needs to learn how to become a human. And she's only seen a couple of people in her life in the last six months. You know, she doesn't know what it's like to see like, people throw balls to each other. Uh, what does it mean to share things with each other? What does it mean to eat food with other people? She only has her parents and her tiny little brother. And so finally we just said, okay, we'll watch some Sesame Street. And, you know, we're going to have some time now where she gets to learn about what it means to become a human through Elmo and Big Bird. And that's fine. That's okay. But we'd much rather prefer, right, for her to learn what it means to become a human through you, through the people of this church, through the people of this community, through her neighbors, through people at the playground. You know, but that's not our circumstances right now. That's not our context right now. So we have Sesame Street, we have Elmo, and we have Big Bird. And they'll be sufficient for this period of time, but that's not necessarily a decision that we wanted to make. You know, that's not the decision we wanted to make, but we did. And I think we're all faced right now with lots of decisions like that in the midst of our hardship, of the context that we're facing in this moment and in this time. For... The Apostle Paul, right, he was in the midst of a variety of different kinds of hardships too while he was in Rome. As I said before, he was incarcerated and he was still under house arrest all that time and these things don't resolve for himself and he really hoped that maybe after all these years he could finally like convince people to follow Jesus, but some people just disagreed with him. And yet, I think it's in the midst of this disappointment that there's really good news and there's really incredible hope that breaks through in Acts chapter 28. And it comes in this last little verse where Luke tells us that Paul stayed there for two years and he continued to tell people about the coming kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Paul continued to do, to tell people about the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Back in Acts chapter 10, there's this incredible moment when Pastor Mary was preaching on this uh, uh, months ago now uh, between Peter and Cornelius and this coming together of a Roman centurion and a Jewish person now following Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, there's this beautiful moment in which a Gentile comes into faith and is baptized. It's just this amazing thing, this miraculous thing that happens through the Holy Spirit. And then Peter makes a speech. And near the end of Acts chapter 10, there's this beautiful line. 
And I always remember it. It's always on my mind. When I was in seminary, I took an Acts of the Apostles class in which we actually read the whole Greek text of Acts and translated it into English. And I remember coming upon this verse thinking, here's this verse that says, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And the very end of that phrase, Lord of all, in Greek is ponton kurios. Kurios. And the word ponton, all, I think when we hear it in that story, we think of it being all people, but really all encompasses everything. It encompasses all things, creation, animals, life, the government that people live in. It encompasses everything. Jesus Christ is Lord of everything. He's Lord of all. And that's such good news, and it's always on Paul's mind. And I think this is where the hope comes in, friends, because Jesus' lordship is not predicated upon a down or a top-to-down approach, right? Paul's in Rome. Rome was one of the most violent and oppressive governments in human history. They would just stack military at the edge of their borders and scare countries into becoming part of their civilizations. That's how they did colonization. Seriously, they just put armies at the edge of their borders and said, if you don't assimilate and become part of our country, we're just going to destroy you. So people decided to not be destroyed and just become part of the Roman civilization. That is not the kind of Lord that Jesus is, right? As Paul tells us about in Philippians, Jesus humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself, even to the point of death on a cross. And he died. He was buried for three days. He 